Entering the Freedom Hut. De Blasio has a double standard for gatherings of big groups. A Black Lives Matter mural is painted outside Trump Tower. Seattle to defund cops by 50%. Goya Foods CEO under fire. Will the Biden debate actually happen with Trump and Pompeo on TikTok? Coming up. This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America, great here, great America. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome, my friends, to the Buck Sexton Show. Thank you very much for being here. An honor, as always. Oh, my, we've got so much to get to today. And I know it's Friday, so it feels like that show flies by. We'll get to your voicemails later on. We'll have producer Mark joining in on some of that fun. We've got a special guest for you later on. Oh, my gosh, so much coming up. But I want to get right to what you're seeing if you were to say, do what I did this morning. I I turned on CNN. And I know, I know you're thinking, Buck, why do you, why do you do this to yourself? Why do you abuse your eyes and turn your brain into mush first thing in the morning? Well, I do it so that I can bring you the most up-to-date and the most accurate assessment of what the lib journos are up to. And certainly, you can tell right now, we're back to all-out COVID panic all across the country that if if you are listening to the national news media you're supposed to just think all right let's just all lock down again let's just do this again let's go for it and that for some of us i can understand uh if you're if you're particularly frightened and you're at high risk as we've talked about so many times if you want to take precautions because things are bad in your area, if you're a healthcare worker and you're worried about hospital capacity, that's one thing. But now we're seeing the, the argument being made that it has to be national. You see, this is what it's not just, oh, things are going badly in Texas with covid or in Florida and they're setting records. It's well, because it's going badly there. Let's have everywhere else locked down again, even in New York, where there were nine people who died from covid-19 yesterday in the whole state. Uh, Very, very few new cases. Massachusetts, very few. New Jersey, very few. No one really knows exactly what's happening here. All right. All all the people that are telling you, oh, it's because we we didn't do what the people told us. It's all our fault. No, that's not true. All right. California has been on super lockdown, very strict for months and months. And California is having spikes in cases, too. It seems that one possible interpretation of these events is that there is an inevitable spread that happens once this gets into a community and unfortunately it will burn through the community at some level and then it will move past it so here in new york because there were so many infections we may in fact be less susceptible hopefully to a repeat of such wide scale uh broad spectrum and incredibly lethal infection but that same phenomenon that same wave seems to be hitting other places across the country now it's clearly a big issue in arizona and texas and georgia and florida uh, months after the reopen so we also don't really have a lot of of data a lot of uh answers to this and i I told you i would revisit this as the as new information came out but remember we were told that certain states needed to be in absolute lockdown when other states weren't having a lot of cases 
And now that those states have already gone through the lockdowns, states that didn't are now the justification to lock down again for everyone else, right? So this is why we want national mask mandates, national this, national that. No, absolutely not. This, as we know, is a combination of bad policy, very politically, obvious to me at least, politically minded decisions with the election coming up. The president understands this. He told me in the Oval Office, I said, it was the last thing we talked about before I left. I said, President Trump, Mr. President, please, no second lockdown push. Don't freeze everything again and shut down everything. We, We can't do that. And I know that the states have a large part of the decision making here, but the federal government was really pushing states as well and, and, uh, and, and using its powers for a lockdown. The president said he wouldn't do it. Here we are with the latest from him on why, even though, yes, there are spikes in cases. And yes, now it is additional hospitalizations and the death rate has gone up uh, substantially in a few of these states. It is still not the right move to lock down the country again. Still, it is still not the right move. Play clip 17. A policy of never-ending lockdowns month after month would ultimately do more harm than good to public health and so bad for our children. As We saved millions of lives. Now it's time to get back to work. A lot of people were against those bans, and now they admit, most of those same people admit That ban was the greatest thing. It saved so many lives. Crucially, we realize that the health of a nation's economy is fundamental to the health of its people. In the last two months, we have begun the fastest economic comeback in history. I hope the president sticks to it on this, but it's also not entirely up to him. Democrat governors will be viewed as heroes by their own party. I mean, everyone knows what the game is here, right? Even if you don't have a lot of cases, you don't have a lot of deaths from COVID-19 in your state, lockdown for a month or two, just just make sure that it's impossible to get any real momentum before the November election. That That's what is motivating a lot of the decision making right now. I think it's quite clear. There's also no honest discussion about, well, what are the what are the new metrics then if we're being told that this was about hospital capacity? We can handle that. But no, now it's back to crush the virus. There's this false narrative you're hearing of some places crushed the virus. We didn't. America has been bad at this. Other places have been great, as if we can't see the numbers per capita of countries around the world. Western European nations, very similar to ours in a lot of regards, have had a much worse response to this. The only exception would be Germany's about the same as ours. Other Western European countries, large ones, Italy, the UK, had far worse Uh, spread and and lethality from this. And somehow there's also a a theory out there now that Democrat governors in places like New York and New Jersey, Cuomo and Murphy, respectively, did a great job with this when even with the spikes in Texas and Florida, Texas and Florida have been far better so far in their It's not even close in their response to this. So narrative is overtaking reality and facts that much is is for sure. But you would also think that if, you know, because as I was watching CNN, it's just they've got the ticker of number of cases, number of people dying, and they just have the, the only purpose 
that they'll go through all day long is just look at how bad things are. Look at how bad things are. Look at how terrible things are. Blame Donald Trump. Blame Donald Trump. That's what you are getting a, a dose of all day long. That's what they're talking about. And wear a mask. Wear a mask, even though if you want, you can go and do a quick search. And maybe I should start posting some of these on Facebook or something. You can see that the most detailed and recent studies you can find on cloth masks to prevent the spread of influenza range from we can't prove any benefit to it might actually even be worse to wear a cloth mask. That, that's there are people, experts who will say, no, 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 wear a mask, wear a mask. But when you actually look at the scientific studies that have been done on this, where they try to prove what the theory, remember the theory is over 100 years old, but no one really challenges it. It makes people feel better. I think it's largely uh, a psychological thing now. People think, oh, masks, healthier, safer. They want to believe that. But, and again, if you want to wear a mask, go ahead. I, I don't have a problem with anyone wearing, and, and I, this, I could be wrong. Maybe it's, you know, great. Maybe it reduces virus transmission by 50%. Why no study can show that? I'm curious. But I have a problem with the mandates that are going on. So you have that push to just make America miserable again, which is what the Democrats are doing. Make sure that this is this looks like it's uh, ineptitude from the federal government. Meanwhile, what are we supposed to do? We've all we all agreed, it seemed as a society, that the lockdown has to be limited duration. And then we got to just go and learn to manage this and live with it. And now we're forgetting that again. It's like we never had that conversation as a country a few months ago and everyone's panicking and freaking out. But then you have Democrats who show you also that they're entirely unserious about doing anything worthwhile while this is happening. Bill de Blasio, former Democrat presidential candidate. I don't think he could even get one percent of the vote, but he runs America's largest city, which unfortunately I am stuck in during this whole nightmare of the uh, of the pandemic. And you're seeing this in other cities, other states too. Texas, you guys have a lockdown now. Right. I know this was mostly a New York problem and everyone said, oh, the subway, the subway. No, it looks like it's a lot more than just the subway that can lead to super spread of this, unfortunately. Uh, but I mean, that was just a, a good guess, you know, that everybody sort of had because that's where you have a huge concentration of people every day. But really, I, I think the, the main area, the worst thing you can do is be indoors for a long period of time with people. So family spread is a, is a huge concern. Uh, but you have Bill de Blasio taking this moment when he is supposed to be a leader on the issue of public health. Right? He's got eight million people, Think about the eight million people who this complete nincompoop gets to just make these determinations like like he's Caesar or something. This is how it shall be by decree of de Blasio. You know what he did yesterday? Spent the day painting a mural of Black Lives Matter. And to say it's a mural, I mean, it's really just writing in letters. I mean, to call it a mural makes it sound like it's a work of art. No, they're painting a sign on the street on Fifth Avenue in New York City, right outside of Trump Tower. Play clip two. Not only is this abject buffoon doing this while Democrat talking points across the country are that Trump has mishandled coronavirus 
And we, we all need to be terrified again, uh, even though, remember, states were allowed to open, re, you know, open, reopen at their pace. And they're not reopened. Can we stop with this? They, they have not. We still have restrictions. You still can't go to the gym. You still can't go to, you know, uh, sports games and stuff. I mean, we're living. At, we're continuing to get dragged through these restrictions and talk about it like, oh, well, we went back to normal and this is what happens. No, we we started to go a little bit back to normal. So what's the answer? Never go back to normal. Hide and wait for a vaccine. We've always been told that's not the strategy. And then the second that things get scary. They say hide and wait for a vaccine. We, we go. This is the cycle. Oh, no, we can't do that. We recognize how stupid that is as a policy. Uh Oh, COVID cases are spiking in a place. Everybody hide. We got to wait for a vaccine. It's not hide for a week or a day. It's let's let's give this another couple of months. De Blasio has canceled events in New York City, has canceled them through September. Okay, he will not allow street fairs, any large outdoor. These are outdoor activities. Now, those of us who are here and, and, you know, you, you know that much of the media narrative is determined in New York and then it's you know, blasted out through the rest of the country because this is the main place where the journos live, mostly in Brooklyn, but also in the Upper West Side and a couple of other places in the city where the CNN anchors and the HuffPo bloggers all congregate. Uh, but de Blasio has canceled large outdoor events. And in, in what is really a perfect, a, a perfect example of the double standards that we're supposed to choke down, during this COVID pandemic, he was asked, what about the big protests that are going on? I mean, those are huge protests that are happening. And you know, there was a, there was a piece yesterday. I mean, you, you got you got to just <laughs> it's unbelievable. There was a piece yesterday that said I'm trying to find it exact. Oh, yeah. Protests may have spread coronavirus. Some cities admit this was on Yahoo News. I responded, yeah, but they wore masks. Did wear masks still sort of what does de Blasio say about big protests? He's banning you in New York from doing stuff. So outside. What about the big protests? Here's what he says. Play five. Outdoor concerts and it means things like parades, you know, things that here in the city can mean not just thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. It's just not time for that now. What about protests? If people want to march down Fifth Avenue, are they going to be allowed to do so? Look, Wolf, this is always an area of real sensitivity. If you're just talking about health, we would always say, hey, folks, you know, stay home if you can. But we understand at this moment in history, people are talking about the need for historic changes. I mean, today in New York City, you know, recognizing the power and the meaning of the message Black Lives Matter, which we did in front of Trump Tower today. uh, This is a historic moment of change. We have to respect that, but also say to people, the, the kinds of gatherings we're used to, the, the parades, the fairs, we just can't have that while we're focusing on health right now. So you, you heard him say there's a double standard here. This is this is political bias through the law. I, I don't understand how this can't be illegal. You, you have somebody this is viewpoint discrimination with state resources. It's exactly what this is. Uh, this is a historic moment. Black Lives Matter has already gone through this whole thing before. You know what got better for people? You know what improved by, be, as a result of this movement? Nothing. Nothing. 
Oh, but it's a historic moment now. Yeah, sure it is. In six months, we'll look back and be like, what were they even talking about? Toppling statues, running around the street, looting, lighting stores on fire, yelling at cops, defund police. This is this is wrong. Oh, it's all about saving lives. It's all about dealing with COVID until there's protests. And and then all of a sudden, yeah, these protests are worth people dying for. Is that what they're telling us? Dying from COVID? Protests aren't going to do anything worth anybody dying for. I, I can assure you of that. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. In case it's not bad enough that there's a de Blasio double standard, what about the violence in the city that has gotten so much worse, 40% or so up for shootings and homicides, and, and no one can deny City's gotten more violent. It's much worse than it was. And he's out there with with people painting a sign in the middle of the street. Yeah, that's how we're going to conquer racism. And they did it outside of Trump Tower. I mean, this is all very obvious. It's just political. It's just nonsense. But here's what he says about the violence that's going on in communities. Play clip 10. What we're going to do immediately, the NYPD is shifting deployments moving officers where the need is greatest, working with communities. And this is always the crucial part. You can't just do it with police. You need community leaders, clergy, community organizations to come together. We're having a particular issue in Harlem, and we've gathered community leaders from all over Harlem who, in common cause this weekend, are going to be out there with the police, shoulder to shoulder, saying we're not going to allow this violence in our community. The second piece is to get our court system up and running. It's been at a very low speed. The criminal justice system in this state is not fully functioning, and that's creating a lot of problems. Even when police arrest someone, the consequences aren't there. So we've got to get that back up and running, and that's absolutely been a victim of the coronavirus, that we were missing one of the most important pieces of the equation. Let me tell you what this moron is not telling you. They got rid of cash bail in New York, so bail reform, quote, bail reform means that people that commit crimes get out basically right away. So it's not about the court system not functioning. It's they changed the court system like idiots so that now it can't actually do very much. And also undermining all of your cops. You can have some event where you say you like your cops. Guess what? Police force does not feel supported in this city and a lot of other cities. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, what's this really all about? Why do we have murals being painted in and to call it a mural, I think, is to aggrandize what's going on. Why do we have signs, political slogans painted at public expense in New York, in San Francisco, in Washington, D.C.? What's going on with all that? Well, as we know, they'll say that this is about coming to terms with our past or uh, confronting historical wrongs. But what it's really about is Donald Trump and how much the Democrats hate him and how much they are seeking not only to defeat him in the fall, but to drag, immiserate and humiliate all of his supporters as much as they possibly can in the process. This was yesterday. Remember, we've got a city with spike uh, spikes of violence and shootings and nationwide. You have real concerns over this continuation of the spread of, of COVID-19, of coronavirus. And they're out there. De Blasio's out there with Al Sharpton. Al Sharpton's there. I don't think it surprises anybody. Painting 
this mural outside of Trump's house. Right, because this is really all about Trump for them. And you, you could say, wait, isn't that absurd? Is that, yes, exactly. It's deranged. It's crazy. It doesn't make sense to a normal person. Um, but de Blasio made it personal yesterday, he made it clear what's really going on here. Play clip three. Wolf, it was that's an important message. The people of this city believe black lives matter. And we wanted to send that message to our whole city, but to our whole nation. And in fact, here was an opportunity for the president of the United States to show respect for the fact that that's what we value here. And what did he do? He literally tweeted that writing Black Lives Matter on Fifth Avenue would quote unquote denigrate the luxury of that avenue. That is pure racism. That is acting like an acknowledgement of the value of black people is somehow belittling. When in fact, what we're trying to do is lift up people who have built this city and built America and haven't been given their respect. And it can't just be words, Wolf. It has to be action. So we're taking resources from our police department and putting it into youth programs. We're yeah, youth programs. That's going to stop people from murdering individuals in broad daylight, including when they're walking with their six-year-old daughter, which happened here in New York recently. That, that's, that's really going to stop it. Uh, look, this is just about egos between people in positions of leadership, right? De Blasio, this guy's an egomaniac. It's amazing. He's not charming. I've never met a human being who is who is even vaguely intelligent, who likes Bill de Blasio, never, including Democrats. And he has this feud with Trump. Ultimately, he also is bitter because he believes that a country that would elevate Donald Trump. And this is true of many Democrats, wherever you are across the country right now, your Democrat mayor or governor or, you know, member of Congress, whatever. Trust me, they're all angry at this country. They think that America needs to be punished for electing Donald Trump. And they're willing to help make that punishment happen. They're willing to do whatever it is they can, whatever they have to. And in case you were wondering, to what extent is de Blasio willing to go in order to make the case about, uh, he says, you know, Trump is being racist and all this stuff. Uh, this is about liberation the mayor of New York said. There's uh, liberating the this, this street. It's amazing. Play four. We need to take this transcendent moment and get the most out of it. But the president, rather than having a, a chance to acknowledge America's original sin, he, he literally made it worse by suggesting that, you know, honoring black people on Fifth Avenue would somehow make it less valuable or luxurious. Uh, I, I got to tell you, uh, people are outraged by that, but more importantly, they're speaking out, and folks today felt jubilant and triumphant. We were not denigrating Fifth Avenue. We were liberating Fifth Avenue by putting those crucial words right there in front of President Trump's building. The crucial words that are the name of a Marxist movement that seeks to destroy the nuclear family and create socialism in America, among many, many, many other policy issues that it that it openly takes but see see he's a perfect example de blasio is doing he, he is putting on a clinic of what the real purpose of the black lives matter movement is they call it black lives matter so that anyone who criticizes it it's like they're saying they don't care about black lives it's such a dishonest 
rhetorical trick. It's a trap. So they get to promote the movement. And then we all say, well, hold on a second. But I disagree with the movement. You disagree with Black Lives Matter? Are you saying that those lives don't matter? Of course no one's saying that. Morons, right? Total morons do this, but it works. It works. Somehow we live in a country where everyone's constantly in fear of being called racist, and the left has created an atmosphere where they say that everything is basically racist all the time. We're all racist. Even though being called a racist will ruin you and destroy you, right? There's racism everywhere. There's just constant racism. And yet that's something that gives anyone who makes the allegation tremendous power. So either we're a society that's just fine with racism, or there are people that are lying about this and exploiting it because we're actually hypersensitive about racism and talk about it all the time. And that helps certain political interests gain power. That's what's really going on. And we understand. You can see it. It's so obvious. We're liberating, liberating Fifth Avenue. Oh, my gosh. No one's even going to remember. No one's even going to remember this. You know, in six months, people walk by like, did they really paint Black Lives Matter on the street? What was that all about? What's getting better? What's changing for the better? De- defunding, defunding cops? That's a stupid position, right? That's aggressively stupid. So that's not going to be something that anyone looks back on with fondness. So what, what is changing for the better? Trump losing the election. That's what it really, that's the actual answer in their minds. Everything else is just, it's just make-believe stuff. I mean, except for some of the true activists, some of the hardliners who think that this is going to bring about something better. I mean, you want to talk about what's going on. Nancy Pelosi was asked yesterday about tearing down statues. And she, look, this is the most powerful elected Democrat in the country right now. I did. She's always just kind of just, uh, just says stupid dicks. They, they ask her, yeah, and, and she's just, you, you know, you, yeah, this this is who the Democrats want to lead. I mean, I I, I find Nancy Pelosi so uh, both odious and unimpressive. But Democrats, they they just love it. They love it because she's just a really a really nasty, vicious partisan who has no who has no remorse for what she says or does. Doesn't care. Fights as dirty as she can. Of a, a completely ruthless demagogue. That's what they want. That's what they like. You know, Pelosi's a political knife fighter. That's why Democrats like her so much. And why do they hate Trump so much? Because he actually shows up and, you know, usually it says he wants to fight back, too. I'm telling you, Trump still doesn't have still doesn't have the fight and the fire in the belly right now that we need from him. It's not there. We'll talk more about that later. I don't don't know what it's going to take. I don't know what it's going to take. We're going to figure that out, though, real soon. But here's Pelosi when she's asked about statues. And what needs to be done as a, you know, what what is a good policy? How should we think about the tearing down of statues? Here she is. Play clip one. I don't, again, if the community doesn't want the statue there, the statue shouldn't be there. Uh, That doesn't diminish my pride in my Italian-American heritage and the fact that uh, it was a country discovered by an Italian name for an Italian-American, Vespucci. So I have that pride. Uh, But 
I don't care that much about statues. Shouldn't that be done by a commission or the city council, not a mob in the middle of the night throwing it into the harbor? People will do what they do. It, it, it's a, it is a, I do think that from a safety standpoint, uh, it would be a good idea. She kind of just muttered it there. I don't, I don't know if you really caught it, but she said, people will do what they do. People will do what they do? Wow, let them eat cake Nancy showing us exactly who she is here. You're like, yeah, let the rabble just destroy things. That's what they're going to do. They're going to destroy statues, rip them down. We're not going to tell them to stop. Come on. This is good for Democrats right now. We got Republicans playing defense all the time. Every moron can go on CNN and be like, what about Confederate statues? We're like, oh, yeah, you mean like Gandhi and Christopher Columbus, those those traitors to the American ideal, right? It's just this is what you have. Uh, a complete absence of of any seriousness on policy, on I, on ways to get the country moving in the right direction again. It's just lock down, be miserable, be terrified, and let's all sit around for more, honestly, pointless lectures from activists about how racist America is. That's That's what the Democrats really stand for right now. And the misery that people are going through, the isolation, the destruction of businesses, the free fall that some entire industries are in the children who can't go to school the hopes and dreams of small businesses owner of business owners smashed they don't care about any of that they got more important stuff to think about that's the democrat approach that's why nancy's like yeah people are going to do what they do they're going to tear down statues whatever what are you going to do about it republicans you know last week or so we heard a lot of stuff from trump about oh we're going to lock up the people that are doing the statues okay we've seen less statues destroyed this week so maybe that's working from that angle but where's the counter narrative? Where's the where's the, the the fiery speech, not just from Trump, from the people around Trump, from the Republican Party? I mean, the Republican Party right now, it just looks like it's 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 like it has been neutered. It's like no one has any backbone. No one has any willingness to get into the fight right now. I, I don't know. I don't know how else to say it. You know, you see these uh, I, a lot of senators have time to do podcasts. I'm seeing these days. A lot of people in Congress are like building their media brands. How about getting in the fight, guys? How about say that Black Lives Matter isn't going to make anyone's lives better right now? H- how about making that case publicly? Republicans, how about it's going to be bad for minority communities because there'll be less police presence, which means people are less safe, people will die, they'll be attacked, real estate values will go down, the tax base is fleeing from cities, cities can only exist if they have high taxes to prop up the uh, welfare state that the city operates, not just the federal government, and also all the city jobs and all the services. This is going to be bad for everybody. It's going to be bad for minority communities too. Why aren't they making that case? And people, there is a mentality out there. I've seen this with the Republicans. Yeah, watch it all burn down. It's not our problem. No, it is. It is a problem because the suburbs, because the rest of the country watch what's happening. And they don't think, oh, look at these crazy Democrats. They're never going to win again. They, They think, what the heck are the Republicans doing? Are those jokers even worth putting in charge? Why are they in power if they can't do anything about this? I mean, I don't see this. In, and anyone who views what has been going on for the last six weeks as good for Trump and good for the Republicans should avoid thinking about politics very long because they're going to hurt themselves. This is not good. 
It's not good because we do not we do not have a cohesive response from the biggest voices, the biggest platformed Republicans out there. It's always just, you know, everyone's relying on Trump. You know, look what he did in 2016. Is he going to do that again? Others need to rise up now. Others need to take the fight to either side. I'm telling you, a lot of people are sitting on the sidelines. You know, they just they, they, as long as they get reelected, you know, or as long as long as they can keep whatever privileged perch they have in the conservative movement, not willing to actually have the fight, though, not willing to take a risk. They're not wartime conservatives. We are not a wartime conservative party right now. That's just the truth. It's not too late, but are we going to turn it around? You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. And this is not a hoax. This is purely political. I win at the federal level, and we won very decisively, and so they send it into New York. And you know what's going on in New York. Everyone's leaving. It's uh, turned out to be a hellhole, and they better do something about it because people are leaving New York. This is a political witch hunt. It just continues. It's been from before I got here. When Obama and Biden and everybody else was spying on my campaign illegally, they were illegally spying on my campaign. And that's a very grave crime. It's the biggest political crime in the history of our country. What the president is saying there is true. Everything that he says there is true. It is the biggest political crime in certainly my lifetime. I can't think of anything else that from history really lines up with it. They did spy on him. They did try a coup against him. That's not going to win the election. And I, I've noticed there, there are a whole bunch of people in, you know, conservative incorporated who have done very well with the whole, oh, you know, Trump, Russia stuff. And they were really they're really good fighters on that. But with Black Lives Matter stuff, they're much more. Ooh, I don't really want to, you know, I don't really want to get into this fight as much. This this one can be risky. This one's risky. Uh, talking about. You know, Papadopoulos and Russia and collusion and the Durham people that are like, oh, the Durham probe, the Durham probe. I'm telling you, it's not going to make a difference. I even know people were writing writing in last night. I mean, this. I'm telling you, it's not going to make a difference. If someone goes to prison because of the Durham probe, it'll be some clown in the DOJ you'd never heard of before. I'm telling bank on it. You know, if someone if there was a way I could place bets in Vegas on this. So don't think that that's going to save us. And talking about how we were right all the time with Mueller, we were right all the Yeah, we have to push back against the false narrative when they try to use Russia against Trump, which they're already doing with the Russia bounty with the Taliban. I mean, it's just craziness. But there, there are people that, you know, uh, they've basically been one-trick ponies in conservative media for three years now with the Russia-Trump collusion thing. It's all they've talked about. And now we need... Real philosophical responses, real political counterpunches to this left wing mobilization. And I'm looking around, I'm saying, you know, yeah, I know there's there are there's Tucker. There are some people are doing, of course. But if we're doing it enough, we wouldn't be losing right now. And I'm the one who said to you, what, over a month ago, we're losing right now. That hasn't changed yet. That has not changed yet. So and I'm not trying to bump people out. We'll have some fun and talk about, you know, more entertaining things later on the show. But I do think that it's important to be honest about this because we all have a role to play. We all have a part in this fight at the local, at the state and at the national level. Do whatever we can. You got to determine what that is. 
Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. I see here earlier today there was a, a Trump tweet. I'm talking about how we fight back, how we, how we mobilize our own side, our own arguments, so we show people that if they actually go through the steps, assuming we're not going to have mail-in voting across the country, which who knows at this point, but assuming that we uh, have an election that's normal, then it's worth it for them to actually show up and vote for Republicans. Now, remember, there's, there's a whole lot of ways that this whole thing can shake out this fall, and if people believe that it's just not worth the effort to vote for Republicans, then that's a very, a very good way, a very, um, imp- you know, that, that's a very clear path for us to lose. Trump tweeted out this, Too many universities and school systems are about radical left indoctrination, not education. Therefore, I am telling the Treasury Department to re-examine their tax-exempt status and or, func- uh, and or funding, which will be taken away if this propaganda or act against public policy continues. Our children must be educated, not indoctrinated. Now, some of you are going to hear that. You're going to say, oh, okay, good. He's t- no, guys, no, no, no. It's not going to happen, first of all. Again, I tell you, it's not going to happen. You know, just certain things are, you know. Um, certain things aren't going to occur. Certain things aren't going to be in your future, okay? The president is not going to be able to pull the tax-exempt status of colleges and universities. It's certainly not going to get done uh, before the election. And now, do I think that they, they are left-wing indoctrination centers? Yeah, but how are you going to, how are you going to gauge that? We've let the, the Democrat left take over all of these institutions. And now we think that the way to win the MAC is through acts of government regulation. Let me tell you, that is a sword that will cut both ways very quickly, and the other side will use it much more ruthlessly than we will. So this is, uh, this is a, a distraction. Again, a distraction. You know, where are the people out there who are willing to make the case about the trade-offs that we need to be prepared for as a society, when it comes to handling COVID, and I look at me, you know, fine. I, I'm just, I've told you about my frustrations today. So, you know what? We're going to let's just, we'll, we'll ease into now some other, we got some other things I wanted to get into and talk about. I, I don't want to make this me getting, just getting angry about the state of, of the GOP and quite honestly, the state of the Trump campaign right now. The Trump campaign looks anemic, but we're told, oh, just keep going with it. Um, schools. Schools. How are the schools? We're going to be fine, guys. I'm an optimist. Don't worry about it. Everything's good. You can eat some red meat, drink some alcohol, and hope that Monday the country will still be in one piece. Uh, Schools are going to maybe reopen in some places, not in others. Half reopen in New York. That's classic. We have uh, Pelosi out there saying that it's a risk to children. Play 14. Secretary of Education indicated that if children should go to school, they have to take risks. Everybody takes risks. Take risks to ride a bicycle, to be an astronaut. There's risk. You have to take risk. No, we don't want our children to take risk to go to school. We're supposed to mitigate for any damage. We're supposed to keep them safe. So with stiff competition, that was one of the most ill-informed State, stiff competition, though, in this administration on this and other subjects. 
This is the soft underbelly, for example, of the big Democrat arguments out there right now. Pelosi sounded for a moment. Uh, she had had three or four glasses of Sauvignon Blanc. No, Pelosi sounded like she was going to say something sane and reasonable. You know, there are risks in everything. There are risks in riding up. Yes, that is life. That is true. There are risks in all activities. There are risks in getting up out of bed and leaving your home. There are risks in staying in your home. But notice Pelosi sets that up like, no, that's the crazy position. We need to create a risk-free environment in schools when it comes to a pandemic that is out there that has already been shown to be essentially zero risk to children. Fact. The flu is more dangerous to kids. Influenza is more dangerous to kids than COVID-19. Fact. Science. Data. Do we shut down all the schools because of the flu? No, we do not. So to pretend that this is about risk to kids is a lie. It's a lie. I'm glad at least the president is strong on this. I'm giving credit where it's due. He's been making the case this week about how we got to open up schools. Here he is, play 16. But the young and the healthy to safely return to work and to school. We have to open our schools. Open our schools. Stop this nonsense. We open our schools. Germany, Norway, so many countries right now, they're open. The schools are open, and they're doing just fine, and they're opening in the fall. So we have to get our schools open. Denmark, Sweden, we have to get our schools open and stop this political nonsense. That's what it is, political nonsense. And everyone, everyone knows it. Right? But people are so entrenched in this. You know, it was very interesting. Um, I saw, uh, I forget actually the guy's name, but I saw a liberal, a, a sort of a liberal journalist on Twitter who, who is one of these guys who calls out the insanity of the left. And he said that the real breaking point, and I'll tell you this, the, the, the breaking, well, the breaking point for me with we need to be wartime conservatives and we need to really understand what the other side's all about uh, was Kavanaugh, actually. I, I still, that was when I realized that leftism in America, that the Democrat Party has largely embraced uh, a, a kind of personal destruction politics and, and an immorality and just a lack of decency and, and dignity in the way that they pursue power, that they must be stopped. It's not just they have their way, we have our way. We have to do everything possible to prevent them from being able to inflict their lunacy and their evil on the rest of the country. Because what they did to Kavanaugh was evil. It was, it was not, that wasn't political, that was grotesque. It was wrong. Um, it, was, it was really the psychological, and really, it was like the torture of a human being's soul televised for the entire country. Lies. It was all lies. And they went along with it. Democrat senators and all the media and the cowards at CNN and the morons at MSNBC, they all went along with it. For uh, this, uh, Jesse Single, I believe, is the guy's name, actually. I don't know him, don't know anything about him. I just, I saw his, uh, I saw his thing on Twitter. And he, he said that for him, there, there was a real break with liberal journalists when the Covington, remember the Covington story came out? And 
uh, you know, Covington Catholic High School from Kentucky. The boys are at the uh, Link, Lincoln Memorial, I believe it was, in, in Washington, D.C. And we're told that the Covington kids were being racist, right? They were being racist. And they were, they were antagonizing a Native American activist and elder, and it was so racist. And, you know, adults, people like Reza Aslan, who's a disgusting little turd, uh, they said, you know, he should be punched. The kid should be punched in the face. And then the full video came out showing that the adults went up to the kids and antagonized the kids and the kids didn't do anything. And thank God Nicholas Sandman sued CNN. And I, I hope I hope he is, uh, you know, going swimming in a vault of gold coins after school every day, courtesy of Jeff Zucker and the rest of the CNN disgraces. Um, but what was so interesting is when Jesse Single pointed out that even when the video came out and it showed you exactly what happened, there's no dispute about what happened. You can see the whole thing unfold. You got audio, you got video, the lead up to it, everything is there. You watch the whole thing. So there's still liberal journalists who are like, no, still racist. The kids are still racist. It didn't matter liberalism and i hate that term for it and that's why i say leftism but the the Demo- we need we need better words to describe who they are and what they are on the left we need better terms to use for them. i mean they're democrats and maybe that's just we just need to always say these are democrats that are doing these are democrats that are under, undermining and uh really destroying foundational principles of our society it's all it's democrats who are doing this but they're in a, in a post-fact reality now. It doesn't matter. They will make a claim. The claim will be proven demonstrably, clearly false. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. And as long as it was successful for the purposes of the left at the time, it is actually praiseworthy. And, and this guy, uh, Single, I, I thought it was so interesting that he says they watched the video. He, he knew people in journalism watched the video. This was all on Twitter. He wrote this. And, and it didn't matter. It didn't matter. And that's where we are now, right? This is how you get journalists who will be like, well, I'm at a mostly peaceful, ow, you know, protest. And they got hit in the head with a rock. Because the truth, it doesn't matter. They're trying to create a perception of the country, of what's happening, that is in line with a narrative that benefits them individually and benefits their view of what life could be if only people all believe the lies. That's what we're up against. So it, it is very challenging. And I know I've been a little hard on the president and the campaign recently saying, where's the counter message? Where's the counter message? It's not easy. And it's going to take a lot. And I'm hoping the rally in New Hampshire, although I'm seeing it might be delayed uh, because of weather, I'm, I'm hoping that that is a, a really important and powerful moment of further, you know, I keep using this term mobilization, but that's really what it is. People get energized. People feel like, hold on a second, there's something here. You felt that energy in 2016. Every rally, every Trump speech, every time Trump was on TV and his supporters, and they were walking around with these MAGA hats on, they're like, oh, it's coming. And a lot of you in this audience knew, and you were telling me, and I was like, really? You think this guy can win? You were like, you're darn right he can win, Buck. I'm guaranteeing you he's going to win. You saw it. Where is that? How do we recapture that? How do we get that back? That's what we have to do. If that doesn't happen, we lose. 
And these complete and utter lunatics will be running the country. I mean, Joe Biden's policy document that came out that was written by the left-wing radicals of his party makes it very clear what we're in for. All they have to do, just, just to give you a sense of the stakes, all they have to do is get amnesty and it's all over. Then, then it'll be, conservatism will be this, uh, this I- ideology that's kind of a, almost a historical, uh, you know, it'll, it'll be an anachronism. It'll be something like, oh, that's cute. It'll be like libertarians are today. You know, we're all libertarians. You know, you guys are nice and all, but pat on the head. You're never going to have a president. You're never going to win any offices. You're never going to have any power. Great. Conservatism will be like that. And you'll just basically have a one-party state where the only fighting is over how much Marxism there is, how, how deep and how far-reaching the identity politics are, what aspects of the Constitution are completely dispensed with. You know, th- that's what we're, that is what we're facing. I don't think there's, any, I don't think there's really any question about it. And, and people should understand that, because right now I think it's easy to fall back and get a little complacent and feel like, oh, but, you know, is it really... Are the stakes really that high? Depends. Do you like living in a place where they disband the cops? Because even those of you who live in red states, guess what's going to happen? You like living in a place where you know, the federal government comes in and says, yeah, no, you're not allowed to have any guns. Guess what's going to happen? You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. I can hardly wait. I can hardly wait to deal with what he refers himself as a stable genius. I can hardly wait to debate it. Do we think those debates are even going to happen? People ask me and I say, I don't know. I don't think anybody really knows at this point. You want to really, if you're a Democrat, you're going to expose Joe Biden to that, to being out there in front of the whole world so that we can all see him go, uh, er, you know, the thing, and then there's a, there's a pomegranate on top of the ship deck, and then I came down, and I saw a umbrella, and it was going to the moon, and, you know, yeah, yeah, man, vote for me, I'm president, yeah, or senator, or whatever, chief dog catcher, who knows? That's what they're thinking, that's what they're hoping to do. I... I wanted to note that uh, there was a, a, a thread here from uh, Alex Berenson. He's the he's the uh, the database skeptic of panic that you, we've had him on the show before. Here's what he says about um, coronavirus in the Sun Belt, particularly. He says, let's talk about this is all from his thread. Let's talk about the catastrophe in the Sun Belt. Positive tests are running high. Hospitals are fuller, but not full. And yes, now deaths have risen. How much? Arizona, Florida, Texas, with 60 million people reported 242 deaths combined yesterday, which is down from 293 the day before that. This number is not fully comparable to the New York April figures because the epidemic has gone on long enough that there is much more backdating now. So current counts may be somewhat inflated, but on its face, it translates into a death rate of about 10 percent of New York's peak days. Further, although deaths lag, the Sunbelt spike has now gone on long enough that the pig should be making its way through the python. It's quite an analogy. That is, deaths typically occur 14 to 18 days after a positive test and 10 to 14 days after hospitalization. In New York, the gap was much shorter. 
In fact, after adjusting for that two-week lag, Florida and Texas are reporting relatively low case fatality rates right now, multiplying actual versus reported cases by 10x. This is probably low, but they've been testing heavily. Puts the IFR right in the 0.2 to 0.3% we'd expect, individual fatality rate. If, as as serology studies have suggested, the actual versus reported rate is more like 20x for every positive test 20 people have been infected, the infection fatality rate will be even lower. Possible treatments will have improved or we are protecting, possible rather, if treatments have improved or we are protecting nursing homes better. Um, So that's just, that's a little bit of additional background here on what's really happening and the, as I've been saying, I, I, OK, maybe we have hit a spike in these places, but the virus is ripping through and the virus will go down. It will. It will go down. And what will happen, though, is if we lock down before the virus on its own starts to go down, which is what will happen as people change their behaviors and take additional precautions on their own. And um, but as that happens, they want the lockdown so that then. It's oh, it, it you know, they, they have to make sure the lockdown occurs when the downslope of the cases and the fatalities happens, because one, if it doesn't, then people will say, well, why are we locking down if this is happening anyway? And two, as long as they get that going around the same time, and, and it really is already happening in some of these states, Texas and others, uh, they can say, well, we don't want it to come back. So we've got to stay in lockdown until the cases go down to zero. Crush, crush the virus, they say, which was never really the strategy. That's never what was agreed on. But that's. What's going on? That's what they're trying to do. Um, and some of it is fear driven and panic driven. You know, they're, they're going, what does Bill Nye, the science guy, have to say about this? I saw that tweet today. Bill Nye has an undergraduate degree in mechanical engineering. I don't give a crap what Bill Nye thinks about SARS CoV 2. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Can I just take a quick bow, folks, on something? Not really. A, it's not bow worthy. I agree. Some of you are like, boo, Buck, don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. I'm the smartest, the best. You don't need to be, you don't need to be that guy. You want to be a, a normal person who understands that you know, we're all, we're all uh, trying to learn as we go and everybody makes mistakes. Uh, but I was right about what would happen with Judge Sullivan. Um, what would happen with Judge Sullivan in the Flynn case? It's come out today that he is delaying and wants a full en banc, or there will be a full en banc review. I always say it like more French. People say en banc, I think. Uh, but that's happening because the day that the initial appeals court ruling came down, uh, sure enough, I said, this is good, but it's not over, folks, because... Guess what? He's going to demand an, an en banc hearing. He's going to drag this out. They're never going to let this go. The deep state loons will never let this stuff go. They're, they're just going to make it's clear what justice demands here. Justice demands an apology for General Flynn, you know, a check from the federal government for about $10 million. And we're so sorry, sir. This should have never happened to you. Please accept our apologies. That's justice. No, no, no. Not this. Not to this judge. He's decided that even though an appeals court has already said, you got to end this trial. He's like, no, I want, I want the whole appeals court to hear this. I'm going to drag this out a little more. It's, it's stunning, but I, I, the day of it, um, I actually have a, I have a written record of it on Twitter. When this initially came out, I, uh, on, on the 24th of June, 
I wrote very good news for Flynn and a big step for justice, but it's not over. Judge Sullivan has come this far. Why would he give up? He has no integrity or impartiality to protect anymore. Stop thinking these deep state anti-Trumpers are rational and fair. Prepare for en banc. Guess what was announced today? In the last 24 hours. En banc. <laughs> so I'm just saying. I'm just saying the Buckster, the Buckster nailed that one. Do I get a high five, Producer Mark? Sure. Next time I see you. There we go. Thank you. Yeah, which I feel like it's been so long. You know, you could have grown hair down the center of your back, be like have a big beard, wearing tie-dyed shirts now and all this stuff. You know, you're you're just I don't even know, man. I haven't seen you in forever. Yes, I'm actually a buff uh, with long hair now. Nice. No, yeah. that, that's a good job. Congrats. So we we talked about Biden debating Trump. I, I don't I think that this could go either way if they have any excuse. If they think that, that Biden's basically going to win and there's no need, why would they take the risk? They don't want Biden to be there like, you know, you know, same little chipmunk sitting on a branch, eating a lot of acorns on my uncle's ranch, step into my office because I'm Joe Biden. I know it doesn't really sound like that, but you get the idea. So that that's one thing. Oh, some of you have been asking me about Ch- China stuff. And I have not been uh, talking very much about it. We got a few things here. One is, I sound a little bit like Cuomo there. Let's talk, let's talk a little about China. China is a place that's very large. What do I mean by very large? I mean that it's a country where Governor Cuomo is not in charge. Why is he not in charge? Because it's technically a commune. Okay. Um, there was a border skirmish between... Uh, some Chinese and Indian soldiers recently. And from what I read of it, it it got so close quarters. This is way up at very high elevation, but it got so close quarters that there were clubs. It was hand-to-hand combat, and a couple of dozen people were killed. So it was really vicious and nasty. And now India is saying that they're they're going to ban certain uh, apps like TikTok. So, oh, now we got to talk about TikTok. We got, well, hold on. Let's, let's first let's deal. I'll get into the TikTok thing in a second. And it's not like TikTok, TikTok that you're hearing on, on the news about uh, the election or anything like that. Um, Pompeo, here's what he said about China, just as a general the secretary of state. Play 20. Incapable of being transparent, of accepting criticism, of allowing reporters to ask them questions that they find uncomfortable, that elicit the truth and the facts. We still have significant questions about who patient zero was. No. Six months on at least from when this began, the Chinese Communist Party, that authoritarian model simply can't prevent the kind of inquiry or has to prevent that kind of inquiry because they're afraid. They're afraid that the truth will be something that will not shine a happy light on what took place. And so instead they chose to hide and obfuscate and deny uh, basic truth, basic scientific truths about what took place. Uh, this is the this is a fundamental and fatal flaw for authoritarian regimes, and it's why the Chinese Communist Party has to be held accountable. Yeah, China is not being a good partner, to put it mildly, on figuring out the whole chain of transmission from the first person to now millions and millions of people around the world with COVID-19. I think we will return to the debates over whether this was in a lab and perhaps tinkered with, but not necessarily engineered from scratch in a lab versus whether it came from someone eating bat or pangolin soup. I feel like I feel like we, we settled on for that theory. It was supposed to be pangolin and not bat, but then it was maybe back to bat uh, of all the soups. Producer Mark, I got to say bat would be 
if I were having some form of rare animal soup, that would be like top five last animals that I would want to eat. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't think I would ever try bat soup. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. And it always reminds me of that scene in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, which I'm assuming you've seen, right? Of course. Yeah, where they cut open the big boa constrictor and he eats the baby snakes. And, uh, whew, man, that was, I wouldn't, and then they eat monkey, monkey brains. I think I'd go monkey brains before. No, actually, I couldn't do that. Couldn't do that. Monkeys are, monkeys, I like monkeys. Yeah, I don't so like I eating just, weird stuff. I, I'm with you on that. It's not worth it. You know, it's, although gator does taste, it is true. It's not a joke. Gator does kind of taste like chicken. It's like oily chicken. If you ever eaten alligator before. You go down to New Orleans, you can eat it pretty easily. They have it all over the place. Ostrich just tastes like like turkey, but tougher. I don't know. I'm, I'm not an ostrich fan. So, But those are things that are normal to eat, right? Anyway, how, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah, talk, eat bats. I was like, what were we talking <laughs> Bat soup. Sorry, I got, got a little bit uh, off track there for a second. So we haven't been able to find out from the Chinese what's really going on with that. And they're never going to tell us because... China is responsible for destroying the global economy pretty much and uh, trillions and trillions of dollars of wealth destroyed and ruined and lives ruined and people dying. And the, the amount of misery and, and despair that China's, in, China's dishonesty and ineptitude has, has inflicted upon the whole world is something they'll never make amends for and they'll never admit. Remember, this is a country that pretends it didn't starve 60 million of its own people to death about 50 years ago. Okay. 60 million, folks. Mao's great leap forward. Yeah, 60 million. 40 to 60 million is the estimate you usually see. Uh, so there's that. And then there's the continuing cyber espionage campaign against the U.S. and against any global competitor that China has. And this app called TikTok. Now, and I know this is from a counterintelligence perspective. All my all my friends from the CI world are going to groan and throw things at their speaker right now as they hear me say this. But yes, I do have TikTok on my phone. I wanted to, I thought it was a new and emerging platform. I thought I should understand it. Producer Mark, do you ever use it? Yes, I also have the app on my phone. Yeah. Apparently that means that Beijing can just see whatever whatever producer Mark is is texting Mrs. Mark. I'm just saying keep it clean because they can see everything. I don't know if that's really true or not. I don't think that's true either. <laughs> that's that's what everyone's. I know it's not true. But that's what everyone's afraid of. You were very quiet there for a second, though. Uh, so they're they're worried that that the origins of the TikTok app, because it is a is a Chinese uh, state backed entity, there that they are using this as a giant surveillance operation, effectively. So uh, here's Pompeo talking about that. Play nineteen. With respect to TikTok, I, I want to put it in the broader context. We have been engaged in a constant evaluation about ensuring that we protect the privacy of American citizens and their information as a transit. So this doesn't pr pr uh, relate to any one particular business or company, um, but rather to American national security. And we are striving to get that light. The, the comments that I made about a particular company earlier this week fall in the context of us evaluating the threat from the Chinese Communist Party. We've talked about it in the context of ZTE. We've talked about it in the context of Huawei. We are now evaluating each instance where we believe that U.S. citizens' data that they have on their phones or in their system or in their health care records, we want to make sure that the Chinese Communist Party doesn't have a way to easily access that. And so what you'll see the administration do 
is take actions that preserve and protect that information and deny the Chinese Communist Party access to the private information that belongs to Americans. Okay, I mean, that all sounds reasonable. And at some point, this degree of technical know-how becomes something that you're just going <laughs> to trust the experts, which is a scary thing to say these days. You know, they're saying you have to be worried about this. I'm just going to tell you this, though. TikTok is pretty addictive. Have you ever used a producer, Mark? You, what, what do you think? Oh, yeah, you can spend hours on it without even noticing that you spent hours, hours on it. Hours. It combines the, uh, it combines the, the kind of curated video feeling of Netflix with the quick hit, just scroll, 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 scroll of Instagram. And you can just sit there and you'll just watch. I mean, I, I, you know what, what I really love are the, they make these short cooking videos where it's just like bing, bang, boom. And all of a sudden you've got everything you need done to make, you know, fried chicken or to make, uh, you know, baked ziti or whatever. And it's just, it's addictive. And there's also this other thing where they show you how to do a shuffle dance, which I have not yet learned to do, but it looks cool, and I think I could do it. You know, do you ever see those shuffle dance videos? There's a lot of them. Yeah. I'm partial to the dog videos, though. There's some great dog stuff dog on stuff. there, too. Yeah, there's, there's some great dog stuff. So there's good content on there. And I kind of want to start doing some from Freedom Hunt content on there, but not if we're going to be told that this is a communist Chinese spying apparatus. But I, I kind of wonder, I mean, unless they can get access to your phone, which I mean, they've got a whole lot of uh, techno- technological capability that even goes beyond, say, what Apple security could detect. And it, unless they can do that, I don't know what are they, they going to find out that I like dog videos and cooking videos and wish I could dance. I mean, what's the what? I don't really see the harm, but I know all my CI friends, pocket runners, 5G, Huawei. Oh, they're all going to get so mad at me. I know. Look, I'm the one who says that China's engaged in a civilization-altering theft of intellectual property technology and advancement over decades long, and that we're going to wake up in, I've been saying 50, it's probably more like 10 or 15 years, and realize, okay, okay so we're not actually ahead of China in anything anymore. That's what's going to happen. And that's going to be a, not, a good, not a good moment, not a good uh, realization for all of us. So we shall ha- we'll, I'll have to see how all of that uh, shakes out but i don't know i kind of like tiktok so (laughs) you can all i know yell at me in the comment section tell me how terrible i am for liking tiktok but it's kind of fun some groovy tunes you're in the freedom hut this is the buck sexton show podcast all right team i want to introduce you to somebody who's uh up on the political scene now and i think you're going to be hearing a lot more from in the months and years ahead she's a candidate for colorado's uh district the third district out in the west of the state lauren bobert joins us now she's also a mom a business owner she just won her primary lauren thanks for uh, thanks for hanging out thanks so much for having me on today uh you know as a mom i've never been a politician but I am certainly a freedom-loving patriot. Yes. Uh, tell us how things are going out in Colorado, because there's so much focus right now on, on COVID and the economy and the reopen. Colorado is actually doing pretty well, from what I gather. But you tell us, how are things going out there? Colorado is doing well, and I think it's time for us to reopen. I've been a champion, uh, a champion for reopening small businesses uh, for quite some time now. In my restaurant in Rifle, Colorado, I actually took a stand against Governor Jared Polis's tyrannical orders 
uh, after he was extending his executive orders, uh, forcing small businesses to stay shut down. And I, I really took a stand against that and opened my restaurant. I followed government's guidelines. That's the proper role of government to inform us of the risk and then allow us to use our personal responsibility to uh, choose if we want to take that risk or not. So I followed the CDC guidelines and I reopened my restaurant. Uh, through that, I had a lot of uh, elected officials coming against me uh, and I, I even lost my food license for about a week. But the city of Rifle stepped in and they commended me for uh, spurring this into action and getting something done to open small businesses. We had Walmart that was open in Rifle, Colorado with customers able to walk freely throughout their stores. But yet small business owners were being forced to close. That's government choosing winners and losers instead of uh, stepping in and having reasonable solutions like the city of Rifle ended up uh, building patios outside of other restaurants right there on the street where Shooter's Grill is. Lauren, and uh, I'm, I'm so glad to hear that you were willing to go against, as you put it, the tyrannical orders, because I'm here in New York and so many folks are just lying down and doing whatever they're told to do by the government, especially about their small businesses. Uh, when you were in that in that state of reopen, I'm, I'm just wondering how much time would you say you would have had left before you'd have to think, I don't know when I'm I don't know if I'll ever be able to open up my restaurant. And are you seeing throughout the state of Colorado concerns from small business owners that they may never be able to reopen if they can't get back up and running soon? Unfortunately, that is the case. And that is exactly where I was. My husband and I used to have a savings account. Uh, we poured everything into our business to keep our employees employed. Uh, I didn't feel comfortable uh, taking the PPP uh, loan. I, I, I just didn't have peace about that. And I'm really grateful that I personally didn't. For those who did, great. I'm glad that it helped. Uh, but it kept me in the fight to reopen small businesses. Uh, I, I didn't become um, just complacent and saying everything's taken care of. I'll let government do their thing. Uh, but I was out of time. Uh, payroll, payday was coming. And I was going to have to look my employees in the eye and say, I'm sorry, thank you for all the hard work that you've done, but I can't pay you this week. And when I called my county commissioners, when I called the county public health department, and I told them that we were, uh, our doors were going to be closed if we didn't do something soon, they said, it's okay, you can wait another week. We're going to start our discussions next week. They said, no, you're still receiving a paycheck. So it's much different for you to wait another week than it is for my employees and myself. And, uh, you know, not only not only were they receiving that paycheck, but they still had a sense of purpose in life. They were able to wake up in the morning and fulfill their daily duties and uh, have that sense of accomplishment at the end of the day. Well, so many of us were at home uh, with a sense of hopelessness, with nothing to look forward to. Lauren, we've got an army of loyal listeners, especially in the uh, outer reaches of Denver and the suburbs, and they can reach all the way out. The signal there from 93.7 can reach out to all corners of your state. So I just want to know, uh, we got about 30 seconds left, but how's your race going and where should people go if they want to help out? This race, this, this race is amazing. I just won my primary for the first time in 48 years here in Colorado. An incumbent has been taken out in a primary. Uh, it's been tremendous. The momentum all throughout the district has been great and all throughout our state and nation even. Uh, people are following. This is as grassroots as it gets and our campaign is only as successful as the people that I've surrounded myself uh, during uh, the primary and I'm excited to bring that same passion and enthusiasm into the general election to take out my far left opponent, Diane Mitch Bush. And I need everyone's help at laurenforcolorado.com to join me in taking her socialist narrative out. All right, Lauren, when you win, you got to come back on and uh, celebrate with us, okay? 
Thanks so much and good luck. Uh, I'll be here. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, man, we talk about cancel culture a lot because it's real and it's all over the place. What does it really, what does it mean? What's it like? What happens as a result of cancel culture? Who gets targeted? This is an ongoing discussion. I can't give you all the answers right now. But here's here's a perfect case in point. A guy named Thomas Bosco, who owns the Indian Road Cafe in Manhattan, is uh, coming under fire. This is a story by David Marcus, uh, or it's an opinion piece by David Marcus, the New York Post. So here's what happened. Uh, This guy, Bosco, in May, went on MSNBC. That's his first that's his first mistake. You know, you can't you can't go on these lib propaganda outlets unless you're unless you're going to be a lib that bends the knee and does everything they want you to do. If you're expecting fair treatment, if you're expecting people to be open minded to your point of view, you will be sorely mistaken. Uh, And unfortunately, this guy is a civilian. He's not a media guy. And so he went on TV and figured I I could just talk to people. Here's how here's what uh, how David Marcus describes it. In May, Bosco went on MSNBC to discuss the devastating economic impact of the coronavirus lockdowns on his business. When asked by host Ari Melber how he graded Trump's performance during the pandemic, Bosco indicated that while mistakes were made, he still supports the president. Bosco added that he also supports Governor Andrew Andrew Cuomo and Mayor Bill de Blasio. And then at this point, Melber, for God knows what reason, asked Bosco if he had voted for Trump and would he again the answer to both questions was yes, and that is all it took. The backlash was swift, according to the New York Times. Uh, one member of the mob egging on the destruction of the man's livelihood and his employees was Randy Weingarten, president of the American Federation of Teachers. She wrote, it's hard to ever go back. Can't ever go back to this guy's restaurant in Inwood, huh? Because he said he's a Trump voter. So now, now just, just remember this. When people, because there, there is a movement right now, there is a movement right now of leftists who are trying to say that there is no cancel culture, that cancel culture is a fiction of uh, conservative paranoia or something. So that that's already happening. That's already out there. And so then when there are cases like this of the most egregious kinds of cancel culture, uh, they'll they'll make one of they'll do one of two things, either ignore it or they'll say, well, this person really deserved it. I think in this case. It's pretty clear that. No reasonable sane person could argue that this is what should happen, although there are a lot of unreasonable, insane Democrats running around. So now he has been uh, targeted by the left and they, they want to ruin this guy, and, and they're, they're calling for a boycott of his restaurant just because he's a Trump voter. So if you say that you voted for Donald Trump and people find out, the, the America the liberals want to work in, want to be and want to live in and have created largely for all of us already is if you say that, they will feel comfortable ruining your life, bankrupting your business, making it so you can't feed your family, so your employees who I'm sure are probably all Biden, would-be Biden voters and Hillary voters, right? Uh, working in the restaurant business, a lot of Democrats, a lot of going to be a lot of Democrats there. 
But this is the country that they want us all to uh, to live in. And this is how things are shaking out right now. So I, I think we should see this for what it is. It is a totalitarianism. It's it's wrong. And until we band together and say enough, it's going to keep happening. Until the culture changes and we go back to a place where you can say to somebody, yeah, I don't agree with what you said, but I'm just going to go on living my life. Libs can't handle that anymore. Makes me feel unsafe. Your ideas makes me feel unsafe. That's what they like to say. That's what they like to do. And uh, it's so intellectually and, and, and morally bankrupt, this, this approach that they've taken. But this is widespread. You know, that was what the writer at Vox, you know, that far-left website, I mean, probably the, like, the most progressive trash heap in many ways online. I mean, it's, 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 it's comedy without trying to be. That's how left-wing it is. I mean, you, you read the headlines constantly on Vox.com, and you'll think, is this, is this the uh, Babylon Bee making fun of making fun of liberals? No, it's actually, that's, that's who they are. That's what they are all about. And uh, you had a writer say that because this guy, Matty Iglesias, who is a far left-wing progressive, but he did sign his name to that letter saying, hey, can we start to protect open debate and discussion? Another writer at Vox came out and said that she felt unsafe because her colleague signed a letter saying that people should be allowed to disagree. These people are supposed to be journalists. They're supposed to believe and, and not just believe in, but defend the free expression of ideas. They're supposed to think that this is central to their position. And then there was an additional, you know how there was that letter that I mentioned that Matty Iglesias and other people, you know, Salman Rushdie and uh, David Frum and I don't know, all these other people, many of whom really aren't worth reading or hearing from. But, you know, they all signed this thing saying uh, we should have open debate. Now there's a letter in response to it, a letter on justice and open debate. And this is from theobjective.com. A more specific letter on justice and open debate, they're calling it. And it's all about how open debate is actually bad, and here's why. Open, free exchange of ideas is bad, and here's why. And it's signed by all of these journalists from HuffPost, CNN, New York Times, NBC, all these different places. And we wonder, we wonder why we have the media that we do. It was really a reminder as you read through it that our media is full of, and I mean this, journalists are generally dumb. They're, they're really the dumbest people in, and, you know, for, for a profession that prides itself on having really smart people, the disparity between the reality of the stupidity of the people in the profession versus their perception of themselves I think there's a bigger gulf, a wider gulf for journalists than any any other profession that exists. I really, I really believe that. So this letter is a perfect example. of. It. And then you have the uh, Goya CEO of Goya Beans, I think. I don't know what else they is it. They do other things, Bruce and Mark, than beans. Yeah, all types of Spanish food products. A lot of Spanish. OK, a lot. I just know of it as Goya Beans. I, I don't know. There's a, OK, but other Spanish food products. Uh, as well, he went to a Hispanic um, like jobs 
speech thing that the White House did, you know, promoting Hispanic entrepreneurship and good things. And, and he just said, you know, I appreciate the leadership the president has shown. But if, if you're a Hispanic CEO and you show up and say you like President Trump, people will stop eating. Libs will stop eating your food. That's where we are now. They're they're these they're absurd. They're they're deranged. I mean, they really have emotional liberals have widespread emotional problems. They think it's politics, but really they've got uh, they've got a lot of undiagnosed or hidden mental illness that is driving their politics or maybe their politics has made them have a problem where they're mentally ill. They have a hysteria. They have a mania. They have that's what's happened. We're dealing with this now across the country. I know I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist, but you don't have to be to see that this is a mass hysteria and these people are completely nuts. They're nuts. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right. Freestyle Friday is upon us, which means uh, producer Mark, all of your hard work this week, staying up late, taking copious notes on the various voicemails that are called in for us. We can now actually hear some of them, correct? Yes. Yes, we can. If you want to leave some for next week, folks, 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. Producer Mark, play that funky music. Hey, Buck and Producer Mark. This is Pat from Lancaster, PA. Hey, the governors in the Democratic states and other people as well are following a science, and it's called science fiction because we know the virus cannot be filtered. A submicroscopic virus can't be filtered by almost every mask. We know that. So it's it's science, but it's science fiction. I hope you keep mentioning that or use that in your uh, talk if you think so. The other thing is, you, did you look up Elmer Fudd yet? Because you're so good at doing certain voices. I thought an Elmer Fudd voice, would you'd be excellent at so I'm hoping you can do that sometime. Thanks. Bye. Well, thank you, sir, for your voicemail. And yes, there's there's actual science to show that the penetration of fabric masks by aerosolized virus is very, very high. I've even seen one study suggest it's as high as 97 percent. So, yeah, you're getting about a three percent. Yeah. Wear that mask. Three percent protection from viral uh, from virus, you know, getting into your mouth basically yeah now i'm not saying that that's the established number but it's not super high if all we had to do was wear masks you would have enclaves of this country with no coronavirus because people wear masks all the time it's not nearly as effective as people think and it may be almost entirely ineffective against this virus we will find out but in the meantime people act like the science is settled and as for elmer fudd uh, is that is that a, I I taught I taught a putty cat is that is that Elmer Fudd? I believe no. so. I think that is. Is that I, I taught I taught a putty cat? Yeah, I, I have to. I I don't know. I don't have Elmer Fudd in my head, so I'd have to think a little bit more about it. Then there's isn't there that guy Foghorn Leghorn? I said I said uh, that that guy right? Yeah, he's uh, they're they're all Looney Tunes. Producer producer Nick is weighing in. What's he, what's he telling me here? Oh, that's Tweety Bird. No, <laughs> my best on Elmer Fudd. That's Tweety Bird. Whoops. Whoops. Yeah, I definitely. Oh, I yeah, I that is. Yeah. I got to figure this stuff out. All right. Next next one from our voicemails. Hit it. Hey, producer Mark. Hey, Buck. Phil the Brit here from St. Augustine, Florida. Love the show. Two quick questions. 
So the original Saturday show, was it only two hours long? Am I remembering that correctly? And the second question is around asymptomatic people. They're relatively young, the main part of our workforce. With all the testing, testing, testing that we hear about, do we know what percentage of the workforce are asymptomatic? And when do they stop being contagious? We need to get past this fear-mongering that we have and get our economy going again. Thanks, Bob. Shields high. Shields high, my friend. Cool accent, too. I always like when we get cool accents. Um, I, the second question you asked about asymptomatic workforce, I'll deal with that first. I, I believe we don't know. The estimates are that up to 20 times the number of established tested cases in any given day uh, so if you if you for every person you test in an area who comes up positive, they think 10 to 20 times that number are actually positive with the case at that with with the virus at that time. Asymptomatic cases, I just think there's no really good. There's really no good estimates of how many people out there in the workforce uh, right now have it. Uh, and Mark, what was his second question? Uh, his original question was about the original Saturday Squad show. How long was it? Oh, the original OSS, the original Saturday Squad show was three hours, and it was from it was on Saturdays from twelve to three Eastern PM, and that's when we started. And we had like a handful of people listening, and then we grew it and grew it and grew it. That's actually a um, a, a moment here where I actually want to transition for a second. And we'll get back to the voicemails. Um, I saw today that uh, Jay Severin had passed away. And I, I wanted to take a moment just to say that uh, we should all, those of us who, who knew him and, and anybody uh, in general, should uh, send thoughts and prayers to his family. Uh, I knew Jay a bit from working with him there. And I got to tell you, I, I'm, I was really sad. He was only 69. I'm really sad to hear about I think it was cancer. It wasn't from COVID. Uh, he, he, was a, he was a good guy. Uh, I didn't know him super well, but I really just knew him professionally. He was a radio. He was a radio host. Radio host. Uh, he was really interesting, and and he had stuff to say. And I always appreciated it when we had the Man in the Moon festival in Salt Lake City with Glenn. I don't know now, maybe seven, six, seven years ago. Uh, I I spent some time in a car, took kind of a long ride with just Jay Severin and me, and we talked so much about the radio business. And we hung out. We hung out for hours that day. And I always remembered one. Um, he he went through all the radio hosts that you would know and gave me his just sort of professional assessment of who's good at what, who's really talented, who's really lucky, who's really nasty. Uh, and I thought he was spot on. <laughs> so so that's, uh, you know, the only one I'll say aloud is he says Rush is the greatest uh, that's ever done the and Rush is the greatest radio host to have, to have yet lived. Um, and I agree with him on that. I won't tell you about the rest of them because I don't want to cause any problems. Uh, but he also was very encouraging to me and said that he had not really come across. Well, you know, he said he hadn't come across anybody who was so young, who got so good so fast at radio, which I thought was a very nice thing to say. So I, I and I appreciated that. And that was really encouraging to me early on in my career. And Jay wasn't the kind of guy for those who'd ever listened to him and knew him as a host. He was like an uh, say what's on his mind, no BS kind of a guy. But uh, he he had some very nice things to say about my ability as a radio host when I was just really getting started. You know, it was before I had filled in for Rush and before I had gotten syndicated and everything else. So I always appreciated that. And 
I'm sorry to hear that he passed. And uh, I know a lot of people spend a lot of time listening to Jay. So, okay. Now let's, uh, let's get back into our voicemails. Producer Mark, what's up next? Hey, Buck. Producer Mark, this is Rob from Wisconsin. Just wanted to let you know I've been listening to your show since back to the blaze days and love everything you're doing for us and the cause and the conservative cause. Basically, I just wanted to say that until we start wrapping up some of this rioting and breaking of the law, really we don't have a move forward. I agree with you on the wartime conservatism. I think it's time for us to put a foot down and stop this madness. Anyway, keep up the good fight. Love your show. Take care. Shields high. Shields high. Thank you so much for the call. I appreciate ever all of your sentiments there, and uh, and I, I agree with you. And I think that we we all in our own way need to figure out how we can be a part of the fight, or at least support those who are fighting. Next voicemail, Mark. Hi, Buck and Mark. My name is Kevin. I'm part of your millennial constituency out here in a suburb of Denver. And I discovered your show last summer when it started airing here on ninety three seven, and I think you're a terrific host. Uh, you have a fantastic sense of humor, and I absolutely love listening to you. So, and Mark, you got to get stop getting down on yourself, man. We uh, we love you just as much as Buck. Shield high. You're both great Americans. Thanks for what you do. That's such a kind. That's so, such a kind email. I mean, email a uh, voicemail. And I always appreciate when one of producer Mark's extended family members calls in like that. Ah. You know, so you know. Apparently, from the Denver area, there's like a second cousin, Mark. You know, he did make one big mistake. What's that? I'm not just as good as Buck. I'm much better. <laughs> there, there, exa- there you go. There you, you know, you, you know, you, when you see him at Thanksgiving this yeah. year, you got he went off the script. Yeah, he went off the script a little bit, but no, no. Hey, I'm so glad that we have our our look. We have a we have a very large and and loyal and and fantastic listenership in the Denver area on 93 at freedom 93 seven and we're very thankful for it so all of you listening out there we even had a, a, a would-be soon-to-be congressman from your state today just because we love denver so much thanks for listening to the bus sex and show podcast remember to subscribe on apple podcast the iheart radio app or wherever you get your podcasts all right mark how many more uh, voicemails we got we got uh, four more oh all right well, let's rack them and stack them next please Hey, Buck, it's John from Mount Airy, Maryland. Hey, uh, just FYI, the reason that the left is so adamant about keeping kids out of school is for the mail-in vote. Uh, If kids can't be in school, then schools are shut down, then voting is basically shut down. Eighty percent of voting happens out of the schools. So uh, they can push their mail-it-in agenda, and uh, if they're anywhere they're going to cheat, that's it right there. Um, these folks have zero integrity, zero morals. So um, thanks for your show. Love it. Bye. John, thanks so much for calling in. And I uh, I had not thought about that. I'll be honest. You're, you're introducing something new into the conversation for me. I hadn't thought about shutting down schools as part of the strategy to get voting in the uh, voting to be mail in instead of going through schools but i i suppose that is that is the case uh, yeah because i vote uh my voting district here is a public school so that makes sense yeah i guess people do use the public schools to do this stuff right producer mark do you know do you know what you're of course you're registered even though you moved we know that because yes. producer mark wouldn't forget 
he wouldn't forget as part of the best political radio show in the country to register in a critical election year. Well, the DMV in New Jersey hasn't been open since I moved to New Jersey, so it's been a bit difficult. But uh, I don't know where my New Jersey one, but my New York one was always in a public school. Always in public school, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I also, I think I have to get one of those upgraded licenses so I can fly on planes again using your driver's license, you know, domestically. What I am think I supposed they to do delayed that? The, that because of COVID, but oh, either way, as long okay. as you have your passport, you're okay. You just okay. have to bring your passport with you. Uh, oh, you got to bring your passport with you. Mm, okay, well, it's kind of annoying. <laughs> I don't want to bring my passport with me when I go. You know fly, what? Flying. If I'm going to Cleveland, I need a passport. I mean, I know things get a little crazy in Ohio sometimes, but. I'd rather, uh, rather than go to, and wait online at the DMV, I'd rather bring my passport to the airport. Oh, I guess that's, that's, certainly, that's certainly one approach, one way to go. You know what I'm, I'm mad about, Producer Mark? I wanted to do, as a perfect weekend for it, I want to watch, there's a Tom Hanks submarine, it's called uh, Greyhound, a submarine movie. If you have Apple TV app on, you can do it. My TV is the model of the TV before what's compatible with Apple TV. So on this rainy-ass, depressing weekend, when a submarine movie with Tom Hanks would be just what the doctor ordered, I actually, the only way you can watch this is on Apple TV. Do you have Apple TV? Uh, what do you mean, app? like the Apple TV app? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it shouldn't be compatible with most TVs. Mine's too old. I don't think that's true. Yeah, it is. Mine's. You don't have a Roku or something? Mine's from 2016. No. And also, no, you need no. a subscription to Apple TV. You know that, right? Yeah, but you could get the free subscription, oh, watch yeah. the Greyhound movie, and then... Well, so you know what? I'll, I'll give you a life hack. Since your TV's too old, you do it on your computer and plug it into the TV. Ooh. Huh? That might work. Producer Mark. Golf, golf clap for Producer Mark. Well done. I'm I good with the tech stuff occasionally. Yeah, that's true. I had not thought about that. Yeah, producer Mark is like MacGyver, only grumpier, and doesn't have a mullet. You do not have a mullet, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, oh, I do. You haven't seen me in a while. I don't know. Maybe. maybe. <laughs> you with the mullet, but if that happens, we want selfies, and we want it spread far and wide. Okay? I don't think my hair can grow that long. Oh, man. I think anyone could. I think if you've got hair, you could pull off a mullet. You know what I mean? As long as it grows in anywhere. But my hair is thinning. Like, I know I'm going to be bald in five years. I'm aware, so I don't think it can go that long. I mean, maybe I could, maybe I could try to bring back like achy, breaky heart style mullet, like the real deal, you know? I'd watch it. I'd like yeah. to see it. Yeah. Exactly. Um, okay. Uh, let's go now to where's where are we next on this one? The, the next oh yeah, one. voicemail. Hit it. Hey, bud. This is Diane from Alabama. Um, I'm hoping President Trump will get reelected, but my main concern is what about the House and the Senate? If we lose those or don't gain enough, will the president be sort of uh, locked down like he has been the last four years? Just wanted your thoughts on that. Thanks. Love the show. Bye. Well, Diane from Alabama, thank you so much for calling in and for your kind uh, voicemail. And and yeah, you know, you you raise a very good point. If we even if Trump does win, which will be amazing, um, I, uh, even if Trump does win, it seems to me that the House and the Senate, if they both go against Trump, we got we got big problems. Remember, if they had the votes, they would have. If they had the votes, 
and it would have had to be a two-thirds majority, but they would have removed this president from office. Now you might say, well, thankfully the founders were genius enough to foresee this and, and make it so it's really hard through just pure partisan rancor to remove a president through the impeachment process. It's got to be very clear. And uh, remember, it's impeachment, and right? Impeachment of the House, removal in the Senate. Uh, but if they even have control of the Senate so they can have control of committees, they'll, they'll, ju- they'll just drown the Trump administration in the second term in lawsuits. They'll just, it'll just, that's all, look, look what they did the first term. This is the way that they do things. They don't make better arguments. They don't have, they don't inspire people. They just lie and are vicious and undermine and use lawfare. So you you raise a very valid point, a very real concern, which is, what happens if he wins the presidency, but you've got both the, the, the House of Representatives and the Senate against him? It's going to be a dogfight, is what it means. It's going to be a dogfight. Uh, so what do we have here next? Uh, we got one more, right? Two more. Here we go. Oh, wow. Very. Look at producer Mark. Spent a lot of time on oil this. To make oh. sure we got a lot of voicemails. Look at you, sir. Hi, Buck. It's Joanne from New Jersey. I had a thought. What if we eliminated the national anthem from all professional sports games? It would do away with a lot of angst and rob them of the opportunity to disrespect this country and our flag. So it's so far removed from what it started out that it has no meaning for these people anyway. So let's just do without it. Take care. Well, Suzanne from New Jersey, thanks for calling in. I... Yeah, I mean, I'm if if they're doing uh, going to do what I think they're going to do, where they start having, and I had producer Mark. Had you ever heard of the? the they, I believe they call it the black. What is the black national anthem? Yes, I think the NFL has said they're going to play that at the beginning of Week One games. I had never heard of this. Before. I had never either. Yeah. Okay, so there's a there's a black national anthem. Apparently, I did not. I'm being serious. I'd never heard of it before. Uh, if they're going to do things like that uh, in professional sports, one, I, I'm going to have a very hard time watching any professional sports because the, a huge part of the appeal of sports for me is the escape from the politics. And if they're going to play politics with this and the kneeling and everything else. Um, but, you know, Diane, the, the thing about what, what or Susan, rather, sorry, Diane was before Susan, the issue with what you're saying is that they'll do, I think, what they want to do. The leagues will do what they want to do. So. It's not like they get government permission for the um, uh, government permission to do the national anthem. But I would say this. I think that there should certainly be a rethink of, you know, military flyovers at NFL games and, you know, honor guards and Marines uh, from the honor guard. You know, all, I, I don't know. They should be showing up at these professional sporting events anymore. You know, the NFL has worked very hard to create this perception of it as America's game and particularly using a lot of support for the troops and a lot of a lot of military. And, and I love that. I mean, that that's all great. But you, know, you can't do that and have like disrespect to the flag at the beginning of the game and people coming up with different anthems and the national anthem and so on and so forth. Here's Mark, what do you think? Uh, I mean, the NFL last time this happened, they a lot of teams just didn't come out for the national anthem. It was played and the team stayed in the locker room. Um, I think, I mean, in hockey, I've always liked it. There's been some national anthems at the garden where the stadium's rocking. Everyone's singing along. Uh, I can go either way. Like 
I would miss it sometimes, like in a playoff atmosphere, but I wouldn't really miss it on an everyday game. Like, what's the difference? Just play sports. Yeah, I just I, I just wish professional leagues would be about sports, but that's very it's apparently too much to ask these days. All right, producer Mark, next one. Hit it. Hey, Chris from Spokane, Washington. So I just wanted to thank you for being straightforward and honest about uh, what you talk about. <clears throat> There's other talk show hosts who unnecessarily belittle and demean uh, other people. And I don't necessarily agree with that. Even if you don't agree with them, even if you don't like them, it doesn't do any good to belittle and demean and demoralize other people. So thank you for what you're doing and being honest and straightforward and to the point. Keep it up. Well, thank you for calling in from Spokane, Washington. And yes, I, I do not... Uh, out of professional jealousy or spite or uh, insecurity, go after other conservatives. Um, I don't do it. You'll know that from listening to my show. Other people do it. Other people do it, especially if they lose in the demo, let's say, for an hour of their show in a major market somebody who hasn't been in the market all that long. Other people do stuff like that. I don't do stuff like that. Uh, I let the work speak for itself, and I appreciate the time that everyone gives me here uh, by listening to me every day, and I really mean that. I mean, I'm actually humbled by it, and, and I don't. And I know that sounds... Whenever someone says they're humbled by it, it's like, yeah, you're not really... No, I really... I'm Every day I walk around, and I just kind of like... I'm, I'm amazed at how much we've been able to build up this show and, and how many uh, wonderful people appreciate what the, the work that Mark and I do here every day in the Freedom Hut. And producer Nick, who you, never get, you guys never get to hear from, but he helps us on the, uh, on the first, which is the video uh, version of the show that we do every day. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, don't t- I don't take cheap shots, period, but I definitely don't take cheap shots at fellow conservatives. I wish I could say that about everybody on the right, but you can't. Some people are uh, petty, greedy, and nasty. And I'll just leave it there. But thank you for calling in. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Okay, now we get into the written rule call to finish things up. Make sure you go to BuckSexton.com and please, please check out our Buck Brief that we post every day on Facebook. And the single most helpful thing, if you like the Buck Brief, which is kind of a, it's like if we took this show and did it in four minutes or less, which we do every day now, uh, Monday through Friday. Uh, if you think that's a cool idea, the best thing you can do is to share it to your Facebook page. That's how that's how you really help with things. And obviously to watch it on your on your own, which we appreciate very much. And go to BuckSexton.com. We've got uh, an up some upgrades coming to the site this weekend. We are doing cool things and it's rainy and there's no snow princess in town this weekend. So maybe I don't know, maybe there'll be a history podcast that happens. You never know. Zero chance. I just want to prepare the listeners. It's not going to happen. <laughs> Don't listen to him. You never, you never know. Uh, all right, we have the written, we have the written stuff here. Where did it go? Oh, where did what the? Where's the written? Oh no, you did, you did send it to me. I was gonna give you crap, but you actually did send it to me. Okay, Susie writes, "Hey Buck from Alaska. Hello. I have an idea to get the left to get on board with opening all the schools in the fall. We just need Trump to go pro homeschooling." And reallocate federal funding and expand homeschooling programs, including programs with faith-based curriculum. Then the left will have to decide which it hates more, COVID-19 cases or religious stay-at-home moms. 
I am not a homeschooling mom, but many of my close friends are, and the leftists have zero love for them. In my experience, modern feminism or leftism doesn't have any room for women who support traditional Christian values, family values, and many families homeschool to reinforce traditional family values in the next generation. Very, uh, very thoughtful and eloquent, Susie. Thank you. Um, from up in Alaska. Very cool. I watched the movie uh, The Gray recently, uh, which is about wolves chasing Liam Neeson, who randomly, there's some British guy hanging out with all these other guys in Alaska who are clearly American, but a side note. Um, I think actually he's Irish. Is he Irish? I think he's Irish. Uh, but they're chased by CGI wolves, and even though it's ridiculous, and wolves, I don't think have ever, I don't think there's ever a documented case of healthy wolves eating a human being in recorded history. But man, it's a fun, it's a fun watch anyway. It's like it's all cold, and the wolves are scary. I digress. Frank. So I was listening to today's podcast, and one of the listeners wrote in that during roll call, he had a friend who went in to get tested for COVID-19, but from what you read, it sounded like his friend was never actually tested, yet still received a call testing that he stated positive. You then went on to correctly talk about how the entire tracing thing is ridiculous because these tests are taking three to four days to come back. I think you may have missed the point, though, which is that this guy's friend never actually took a test but received a call that he tested positive anyway, and that they're inflating the numbers by having people sign up for tests, but they hope they don't get added into the assumed positive category. Anyway... You and producer Mark are literally the most entertaining duo on talk radio. Thank you so much for what you do. Oh, thank you, man. That's very nice. We appreciate that. Well, I cannot grow a beard. I am a 37-year-old gray beard, fiercely independent conservative, Marvel and DC-loving, Star Trek and Star Wars fan, black American millennial whose favorite TV show of all time is proudly stated as Friends. Hands down, period. I love passing the buck and do it often. People enjoy your chill attitude and welcoming vibes. Keep up the good work. Shields high. Frank, I feel like we're going to be buddies, man. Thank you so much. Frank sounds awesome. I, I got I to get my PS4, which I'm thinking about doing, so I can play Call of Duty, and then Frank and I can play on the same Call of Duty team. Except uh, his favorite TV show of all time is just a bad show. Frank, you write into producer Mark, and you tell him to lock that up, all right? You tell him to lock it up with and, his... And it's not because it's getting canceled recently. I want to point that out there. It's just a bad show in general. I, I, I don't even know what to say. Seriously? Poor writing... Uh, very cliche. You don't like Joey Tribbione? I feel like Joey no. Tribbione and you were like high school friends. You, I, like, you don't like, you don't... I like George Costanza. Oh, that does not. That is not a surprise. Yeah, uh, I am Maureen, him. you guys are the best. Two of my favorite people. Love your podcast and website. I sure noticed producer Mark's extra saltiness on Tuesday. I think he wants us all to know he's not cuddly like you said he was. He didn't like that very much. So is Fauci the fraud an idiot or is he just being deliberately obtuse? so as to perpetuate the DNC agenda. The spike in COVID is not due to responsible reopenings, as he claimed. It's due to protesters, rioters, looters, and over a million tests a day being done, which naturally shows more cases. Cases aren't deaths. Thanks for all you do. Your hard work and efforts haven't gone on notice. It's appreciated far more than you know. Well, we really appreciate that. Thank you so much for the kind words. Everybody, that's going to be the show for this kind of rainy and sad Friday from New York City. Hopefully it's nice wherever you are. Talk to you all Monday. Have a great weekend. Make sure you pass the buck when you can. Shields high.